Hello, lovely. It's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience, can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is The Imagination Matrix. You know those moments where you get to have conversations that just speak to your soul so deeply, like you connect with another person, and it's usually in some super random way, or it just kind of like wanders into your life or your reality. And there's just something about it that's so nourishing. Like, you're just like, I am completely fulfilled by this experience. And it was like a moment in time, just a little blip. But you just feel like, "Mm, that was so good. That like added to my life. This is a conversation that was like that for me. Just really just a, I don't know, something about the energy of it. Just so good and so nourishing. Like maybe, you know, we meet soul family on our journey, however we come across them. And it's like, you just have that little momentary, like, oh yeah, I recognize you. Oh yeah, I recognize you. And it's just cool. And it doesn't need to be anything else. It's just this great little moment. So I'm happy to bring you guys into that moment that I had uh, today with Dr. Steven Eisenstadt. Uh, He is the founder of Pacifica Graduate Institute here in California. Um, He's the founder of Dream Tending and the Academy of Imagination. He has devoted his life to understanding the profound wisdom and healing power that exists within each of us. His work centers on the insight that through our dreams and imagination, we can access limitless creativity, innovation, improved relationships, and ultimately our human potential. Such an inquiry was a driving force in his creation of Pacifica Graduate Institute, a center for the study of the human experience through depth psychology, mythology, and the humanities. Surrounded by the beauty of the natural world where the mountains meet the sea, the Institute is located on two university campuses in Santa Barbara, California. Within this setting, Eisenstadt pioneered his revolutionary patented dream tending approach, a proven system based on four decades of rigorous scholarship and practical application road tested with students, clients, and global workshops. This approach led to his work on the imagination matrix, a new paradigm for thinking more creatively and for living more authentically. He has conducted sold out dream work and imagination seminars, workshops, and pop-up events in the United States, Asia, and Europe. Eisenstadt's methodologies have helped thousands of people to unlock the realms of deep imagination, increase intellectual and emotional bandwidth, and realize personal and professional goals. Dr. Steven Eisenstadt has served as an organizational consultant to leading tech companies, international leadership teams, and the Hollywood entertainment industry. He has also lectured extensively around the globe on the experiences of dreams, the deep imagination, imaginal intelligence, and unleashing your innate genius. He is affiliated with the Earth Charter International Project through the United Nations, where he has spoken. Professor Eisenstadt has collaborated with many notable leaders in the field, including mythologist Joseph Campbell, 
deep psychologist James Hillman, Marianne Woodman and Robert Johnson, visionary Jean Houston, Chinese Jungian analyst and scholar Professor Heyong Shin, and Aboriginal dreamer and artist Yidayuma Bill Harvey. Dr. Eisenstadt honors his associates with sustainability and seed-saving activist Dr. Vandana Shiva, Aboriginal dreamer Bill Niji, and the community organizers Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez. It was an absolute pleasure to have the conversation about imagination and about Dr. Eisenstadt's new book, The Imagination Matrix. I believe that this world was created from our imagination and at different frequencies and different times on the planet, we had a different level of imagination. When you think of invention and creation, it happens through our imaginations. And so we're really at a cool time where we can, you know, lift the lid off of our imaginations um, and be able to create things that have never been created before. We're always creating things on the planet at this time. And it's so, so critical to be able to create and re-envision and re-imagine our world. And so this work and this book are a beautiful guide to the ways that we put lids on our imagination and how we can take those off and how we can start to create something different. We are all powerful creators here on the planet. And sometimes we don't realize the power of our imagination and what is possible when we really think differently and think in a new way and create um, what we act, actually want to experience on the planet, really. So with no further ado, please help me welcome Dr. Steven Eisenstadt to the show. Welcome. We're so happy to have you here on the show today. Uh, Shana, it's great to be with you. Wonderful. So before we dive into your new work, which I'm excited to talk about, I want to go back to kind of years ago, decades ago, and starting this beautiful work that you do in the world. What was your kind of inspiration or connection to our dream state? Like, do you remember back when you really said, mm, this is something I want to explore? Uh, that's memory lane. Uh, yeah, the... Um... It started a long time ago when I was young, very young, and I was dreaming, you know, not really knowing much about that. And of course, some of the dreams were difficult and challenging um, and things kept moving and, you know, access to imagination. I was always in imagination. I was always thinking about like so many children are actually most kids are of imagination until we get somewhat programmed out of that. Uh, and then. Um, I remember I was on a beach in uh, in in Zuma Beach, actually. It was where I was growing up. And I was walking along that beach. Uh, I must have been 12 years old. And, you know, it was on the other side of the point. The one side of the reef had to do with all the big lifeguard stands and the food, you know, places and everything. And it was a public beach. Lots of picnics and families and kids and everything. But I... Got that wonderlust. I just wanted to go around the point. The tide went out and I left my parents and everybody. And I was walking about and I 
was sitting, I'll never forget, ever forget. I was sitting on a kind of um, a, a rock, really. It was The tide was out. It was a bit of coral on the rock. You know, it was a very beach-oriented experience. And then somebody passed by, and this was a older man. In other words, he was about 16 or 17. And <laughs> to me, a god, right? <laughs> and he whispered, he said, did you know did you know that rocks can talk? I went, oh, my goodness. I mean, I thought that. I knew that. But I didn't know anybody else would say that or know that, particularly somebody much older than me. Uh, and that really sparked imagination. And I'll never forget because then the tide was starting to come back in. And I walked back on the other side of the on the other side of the reef, and of course, then family, friends, everything. And I'll never forget my mom, who said to me, Steve, where have you been? What was I going to say? Well, I've been to another land, another magical place, a place beyond the ordinary and the familiar. <laughs> I just said, uh, oh, I was just walking down to the beach. But that forever changed everything. And of course, even now I'm talking about it, you know, decades and decades later. Rocks can talk as if the world is animate, you know, and filled with possibility, everything insold from the beginning. Yeah. And then dreams would continue to come. And one thing led to the next. I was at UCLA under undergraduate and I met somebody. I like many of the, my friends struggling with what was going on in the world at that time. Uh, and I met a person who hosted dream. So I started to share a dream with this person. Uh, and that was extraordinary. One thing led to the next. I made it from there to Isla Vista, next to the University of California, Santa Barbara, and started a community counseling center. And then when I was doing that work, I started to work with Dream and with many people and Dreams. And that led to the next, to the next. I was up at Esalen Institute along Big Sur. I met Joseph Campbell. And, you know, Joe and I got on easily. And I invited him down to this little place in Santa Barbara, you know, and he said, yeah, he had just uh, retired from Sarah Lawrence. And he said, sure, I'll come. I mean, one thing led to the next, right? And he became a very dear friend. And he would come to Santa Barbara a couple times a year and really help start what was then to become Pacifica Graduate Institute. Oh, I kept going and met wonderful people in dreams and dream work and started to get involved with different institutes and agencies and uh, a, a member of the International Association for Study of Dreams. Then I met James Hillman and Marion Woodman, and they became very close to your colleagues and friends, um, and dream work began to evolve. And all through the years, I've been working with people and dreams and psyche and soul um, from the perspective of the deep imagination. So beautiful. And what were those years like at that, you know, in Isla Vista and the beginning of Pacifica? I mean, I I imagine it that you were really starting to bring people together and create something that hadn't been created before. Like it was imagination at work in creating this community. It was. And um, yeah, those are, are really beautiful memories. And uh, the the actuality of that was Vietnam was coming to the ending places. Uh, and there were friends that we had that were dear to us, particularly people that were in high school with us and then in college. Uh, lots of casualty, you know, some people 
I had lots of vets returning back. I remember. So the work was, there was magic in the air. There was without question. And such soul felt, heart felt, compassion experience. We did not know the way of therapy, really. We weren't yet trained as clinicians. Uh, and yet the need was so apparent, not only with the families, but with teens that were getting involved with alcohol and drugs. It was a whole thing. And what came to us during the those really, truly magical years, now I look back, the idea, well, we're not professionals. What we do, we're now starting to go, you know, human potential movement was starting to evolve. That's when I met my dear friend, Jean, Jean Houston. She was doing her, so many in that time. Uh, and what happened was, well, why don't we start something that is paraprofessional? So we started way back then, a paraprofessional counseling. We just got this essential skill set. We were following people like Virginia Satir back in the day and Carl Rogers and the basic ways of being present with people, engaged in conversation, hosting person, pain, hurt, psyche, soul, and dream. And one thing led to the next, you know, all through the years. And that back then it was a one bedroom little apartment, me on a work study job from the university, right? as a graduate student in counseling psychology and what was called then confluent education. Um, and that then evolved all through the decades to two extraordinary campuses that are now the Pacifica Graduate Institute. But it started then really in that creative cauldron that was infused with imagination because we were in a world that was both of pain, pathos, which is usually how it works, and so much eros, which was also present and our compassion, our sense of service, and desire to support and help, never with an idea or an intention to do something or to make something of this. We were following something else. And what would it be? The North Star, right? Following a sense of service and the pull of the future, the destiny, the purpose that was moving through each of us. Yeah, so it was, those were extraordinary years. And even today, because in just a number of weeks, I'll be working with, the, as I've done for, what, 40-something years, working with MA counseling students at Pacifica, beginning students. And in that curriculum, still, the core ideas of what happened back in Ala Vista are present as people are experiencing what it's like to be a, a counselor and be in relationship with somebody else. So beautiful. What was the thing that like you remember when you look back at your career, you know, at that time, and then also the years that, you know, came after that. And as you started to be with people in this way and to do this work, like I know, you know, from the work that I do that there's a dual learning going on, right? You're always discovering as you are also helping other people discover so that that, you know, interplay is going on. What, when you look back, were you discovering through this work that surprised you or that excited you that you didn't know, you know, when you kind of decided to show up and embark on this was going to happen? Yeah, it, what I'm going to say may sound a little peculiar. And what's true is that there was something else in the room. I didn't get it back then early on. You know, I was working with people, I was listening to the story, I was supporting as best I could. I learned essential skills to, to facilitate and to help. And I dealt with you know, everything from crisis intervention work to deep pathos to the family systems. And 
there is something in addition in the field of experience between me and the person or the people in the room. And I didn't really have the words for it. Um, in the work that I was doing with Marianne Woodman and James Hillman and with Joe, of course, Joseph Campbell, um, it started to formulate because of my fascination with soul, psyche, and dream, right? That who were in the room along with <laughs> us, literally, most important, obviously, in some ways, were these other figures, figures that are from dream, from psyche, from the soul. I've now named those figures soul companions. They're figures that are present, that have such importance to us. I mean, we have this outer community that's important, of course. We, to be in community is so essential now in the world of today, particularly. It's the inner community that I wasn't aware of fully, and that was the surprise. And that was the revelation that changed everything. It was the inner community of these figures. You know, they come, they present in dream, in imagination. They present when we're walking in the world, something out of the ordinary happens. They're part of what's called synchronicity or the intersections that occur that are out of the rational mind that open the curiosity, curious mind, is the relationship to psyche, to soul. And when I felt into that fully, you know, and frankly, when those figures <laughs> made a claim on my experience and attention, that was the game changer. So now I'm working, and really, I don't want to romanticize or idealize. Now I'm working with really, you know, stuff that's hard for people, life experience, anxiety, isolation, depression, despair, uh, grief. I mean, th th those experiences that grip our lives, I'm appreciating that I'm working along with what's going on literally in the circumstances of the day. And two, behind those symptoms is something else. Behind the symptom is, you know, something more. And what's there, of course, is the figures of imagination and soul, those inner companions. That's, that was the change that made the difference, all the difference. And that's what really gave birth to the Pacifica Graduate Institute and the depth psychological initiative. It was, it was there. Then, of course, having the privilege to work with the elders that I named and then traveling and working with Aboriginal elders in Australia, Sagoma elders in, you know, Africa, um, I had the privilege of working with people, elders in uh, Hawaii, Native American figures. I mean, in the traditions of the world's place, uh, it's not at all unusual in Western psychology. It was a new, at that point, certainly a new idea. So I would say that more than anything was what came forward and presented. Yeah. So beautiful. And you, you have a platform called Dream Tending, and I just feel like um, your most recent book, The Imagination Matrix, is kind of a next like evolution of your heart and soul that like you feel called to share, right? Like your next contribution. So can you go a little bit into the work of dream tending and then how you see this next evolution? Because it just feels like, um, like it's something on your heart to really put out as like a next evolution of your work. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, it is truly just so, just as you described. Dream tending have been evolving and it's been deepening now for many years. Um, and you know now it's filled with curriculum and with training programs and working in community 
now an extended dream tending community that you know many people from every place and there's dream tending communities uh all over china and russia belarus all different places and you can imagine uh, that because we're connected in these ways that when people are experiencing the pain that they are because of war or environmental despair or x y and z the extended community experiences that in the dream time right it's it's really something so we forever are attending to intending people in different places oh i just got a um note one of our dream tenders her family live in maui right at the moment and they live right there right uh, just steps away from extreme tragedy. Uh, she, her two kids, and her husband got out. Their neighbors on both sides did not. Uh, so pathos breeds compassion and care. In an extended community, in the Dream Tending Initiative, there is that kind of caring and that way of being present. Like-minded people attuned to the deeper capacities of psyche, soul, right? So dream work has evolved, right? And the easy way to say is that it evolved around three or four different core ideas. One core idea was that the psyche is dimensional. So there's the personal circumstances of the day, the context that we find ourselves in, and dreams will forever respond to what's going on in our lives. They also, of course, respond to the archetypal stories, the collective stories of human experience, the collective psyche. And two, from the point of view of dream tending, and Pacifica for that matter, the world psyche. So there's the personal unconscious, the collective unconscious, and the world's psyche as well. The creatures and things of the world speaking on behalf of themselves, presenting their voices in the place of the dream. Of course, that's incredibly important in the world of today because the landscapes, the creatures, are making plea for the most part in dreams. They speak of the beauty and mystery and the magic, but they also speak of the pain and the hurt and the concern, uh, everything from extinction to X, Y, and Z. And to hear that in dream uh, offers possibility because there's not only the hurt and the pain that's offered, also the generative impulse is forever present, right? So when I do work at the United Nations with the Earth Charter International, for example, we really allow ourselves to work in dream time, to work with the soul, not just how we're going to further create policy, not only how we're going to look at situations and bring the best of what science has to offer and the best of what you know experts in all kinds of fields have to offer. We also listen to the deeper callings, the callings of psyche and soul and dream. Now that work has moved and now something else is happening, which is right to what you're asking. Something else is moving through. And as dreams forever will offer themselves in the ways that I just present and something more, right? And that's what's really opened my passion at the moment and my heart, truthfully. And that is dreams will share, and they do, about the circumstances of the day, personal or collective, Right? They also talk about the circumstances in the world space, and they open portals, and that's the new work. Dreams will open portals into deep imagination, always have, but it is different to work with dream and either interpret, analyze, or to even tend to dream in the ways that I share, to associate, to amplify, to animate. 
It's another way to illuminate, which means to allow the portal to unfold, to present, and then dreaming, and the dream place is the start place. The journey forward begins from the portal that presents in the dream. And then it's the question of, all right, how do I gather soul companions, the figures that I was describing? How do I gather different resources? And then essentially dissolve and become one of the many, the crew that goes on journey. So now the work is in addition to the dream tending, the work is journeying in the soul landscapes and to discover what there gets presented and what comes forward. It is an extraordinary, extraordinary adventure. That's where the book, The Imagination Matrix, the journey in the matrix, in the field, in the tapestry, you know, of the imagination and to allow the imagination to be primary and for us to bring our full sense of personhood, our potency, but in a witnessing presence and allow the resources, the intelligence, the innate genius, truly, the innate genius, the imaginal intelligence that's present there to come forward and to be known, to be received, to be attended to in life. And when that happens, what I'm discovering again and again and again and again is there's something that happens in a person, right? There's a sense of, whoa, now my authentic sense of purpose is being guided or revealed, let's say, right? Now that sense of, hey, who am I in addition to my identity that's familiar? What else is available? From the soul-centered place moving forward, what's being asked of me? What is the pull of the future? It's a different kind of guidance accompanied by these figures. I never romanticize because there's so much pain and grief and hurt in the world that there too, the figures that are most nightmarish in dreams most intolerable, the difficult, the places in life that have anguish, hold anguish, they too, when tended, you know, when, let's use the word transmuted, so to speak, when they have their own ability to come forward in different ways, can offer immeasurable guidance and gift, which is what Joseph was talking about that Lucas picked up and that the whole store wears now epic trilogies, now five generations forward, right? The idea that when Darth Vader, when that mask is lifted, there's something in addition to the painful, the hurt, the oppositional, the antagonist, you know, the piece that's so difficult and challenging, antagonistic, something more. When the mask is lifted, who's the sole figure underneath that has the capacity to offer guidance in the most important kinds of ways? Yeah. So, so as you're Speaking about all of this, I'm thinking, like, because you brought up, you know, what's behind kind of the anxiety and the depression and the things that are so prevalent. I mean, there's so much going on in the world at this time. Um, and I think those things are really rising to the surface for people. And when you say the words like anxiety, depression, these things that, you know, I think all of us have felt at some time or another, like, the visualization that I get is kind of a sense of aloneness, right? Like this very sense of like the three-dimensional world. And, you know, I think a lot of times it feels like we're alone in our experience or we're alone, you know, with our own reality or vantage point or viewpoint. And what I'm hearing as you talk about the imagination matrix and you talk about in the book, the curious mind, the visual I'm getting is this like expansion of the idea of self, right? And you talk about these other soul parts of self, which immediately makes me feel that like that very human 
three-dimensional aloneness falls away when we start to look deeper and we start to like open up to, you know, this, I call it a community of self, I want to say, um, and these, and these deeper abilities to get curious, right. About, about like who, who is this expanded version? Who, who are all these aspects of ourselves? And that feels very like of another dimension, right. Of another understanding or reality that we can live in. Is that yeah, I, I think how you're framing that and sharing that is very congruent, very sympathetic to what my direct experience is as well. Um, these figures, it's the inner community, right? These inner communities of figures. And I think of Jung, Carl Jung wrote the Red Book. This was beyond, this was not his collected works, right? When he did that work. And he was, uh, it was after hours, it was at nighttime. He was alone, isolated, separate from others, um, not on the lecture circuit, not writing academic material, not in the doing his clinical work, not working that way. He was keeping a journal, essentially, which was then named the Red Book, right? And it never was it meant to be put out loud or being public. It was him deepening relationship with these figures, these selves, as you're describing, of the soul, of the deeper psyche, right? deepening his relationship with them. Hey, who's visiting now? What's happening here? Mm -hmm. What is their desire? Notice how different that is than what does this mean? Why is this happening? What does this have to do with me? <laughs> A very different consciousness, right? Who's visiting now? What's happening here? You know, we become a witness to the unfolding that has an organicity and autonomy of its own, right? And what is the desire? What is the pull forward? Not of me only, but the figures. How are they moving? What stories do they share? Uh, in the book, Imagination Matrix, the very the last chapter has to do with the story web of imagination in story, because things come through story and with story. It's just that we're not the maker of the story only. The figures in the story themselves have voice autonomy, like in a dream. The figures in the dream have life of their own dream tending we call those living images a certain autonomy a life and they have stories to tell versus so quickly jumping to an explanatory system or an analysis or an interpretation all helpful they are really i spent years noticing and appreciating how constructive instructive and useful those ideas are in addition in addition there is something else and that is the figures themselves have stories and have a life and have a genius. They have something to share. And it's so awesome to hear what that is and then to deepen relationship. I'm now in the world and I'm not alone. I'm companion by this inner community. And I must say, because I work with schools and children, uh, both in the younger grades, right? Little ones and in middle schools and high schools. And of course, we're in an age of amazing social media and kind of avatars that are work. I mean, you ask a kid today, uh, what bring, you know, in a therapy session, this is what I'm doing when I'm working with beginning counselors. Once upon a time, you could say, hey, what brings you here? And people would go, oh, well, I know. He's asking about me, myself, and what, what's happening at home, what's in school, where's my pain, what's bringing me here? You ask that question, what's bringing you here? There's this pause, this silence. <laughs> they don't know, huh? Huh? <laughs> What, what me are you talking about? Because I have four different identities, four different avatars, right? Oh, well, what brings me here? 
So their world is populated now by the multiplicity of entities, particularly on social media. This is one avatar, one virtual identity after the next. The difference is that for the most part, those identities are programmed, right, in, in lots of ways. And they are constructed for intentionality, to make social contact, to X, Y, and Z. They're commodified in a lot of ways, part of the programmer's code in so many ways. The difference is those soul companions that have the, an autonomy, a genuine quality of their own making, those figures. And we each have access to those figures and to companion those entities and to listen to the stories and to continue into relationship. There is curiosity that opens up, wonder opens up. It is something out of the ordinary. It's like, and it's not esoteric, right? It's so simple. It's like when we're walking down a path and instead of going with our agenda, instead of trying to reach the destination and getting there on time to do the work that's expected of us, either in the vocational workplace or in a department store, so so to speak, or in the store the, that's online. Rather than getting there so quickly, it's when we take the time and we get lost almost. And we're walking now without intention. And we allow the world to find us to meet. We all have those experiences. We're walking down Main Street. We're walking down a neighborhood lane. We're walking in a wilderness place. And we just let go. And then something else happens. The world awakens, right? We hear the wind in the tree. And we notice that. We hear the sound of a bird, a song. On and on it goes. The voice of a mountain. And we just take the time to pause. Get curious, right? That moment. And all of a sudden, we're not alone any longer. We're part of a living landscape. And the figures that are that adhere to that landscape become increasingly present really truly how new is this this is about as new as 2000 years ago right people have been experiencing this quality of life and this way of being present in the world for thousands of years we've just you know in modern times we forget and we've forgotten but it's really cool to recover that in the native traditions indigenous traditions walkabout, right? We're walking about without intention, allowing the worldscape to come forward. And the cool news is when eyes close at night, often something else comes awake. And that same field of experience awakens. And what would it be like to allow the dream to be a living experience and walk about with the figures of dream without so quickly needing to make interpretation or analysis? Yeah. Oh, and again, um... I don't want to go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It just, it reminds me of my son. And, you know, I used to just have such delight and pleasure watching him as a child because, you know, children just get pulled, right? They just, something fascinates them and they just run over here. And then something else fascinates them, they run over there. And I, when, when he was little, I used to say, do you want dessert now or later? And he would be like, looking at me like, are you crazy? Like now, like there is no later, right? It's just like, I'm in the present moment. Like, why would I delay anything that pulls my imagination or my attention? And I used to like, think it was so funny because his face would look so confused. Like there is no later. There's just now and like pleasure and desire and joy and fun in this moment. And you know, it's that quality that we're all born with, right? That we all naturally come onto this planet having. And then and then the way that children resist being pulled out from that, right? Like all the different ways that 
you know, society socializes or tells them you have to, you know, eat at this time, you have to go here, you have to do this. And, you know, it's just, it's just interesting. We, we taught our our son to only eat when he, his belly tells him that he's hungry and to stop when it feels full. And he's still to this day, I mean, we don't like have set times you have to eat. It's like only when your belly tells you, you know, and he's going to be 11 now and he still follows that. And it's just so beautiful to watch him listen to his body like that, right? To be aware of how he feels. Oh, so wonderful. Yeah, that's somatic resonance, listening to the body, really attuned to the the somatic intelligence and just allow oneself to follow those cues. Yeah, it's extraordinary. And watching kids in imagination, right? And in the book, Imagination Matrix, I really spend a bit of time in the early chapters about opening child's imagination because it's available to all of us. It truly is. And being with children, like being with your son, to notice and be present and participate in that is really cool. And then we have to do things when the nightmares come. You know, there's a monster in the closet, one of the classic books. How do you attend to those? But, you know, when we're in imagination and then we have the figures that are supportive companions and then the monster in the closet comes, way better, way easier in imagination in that field to work with that monster or the hard one, right? The difficult with these soul companions that are supportive. Because then it's not really all up to me. It's in addition, uh, you know, along with our allied figures, they have the capacity to do that. I mean, even going back to the one analogy, you know, you gotta have a Yoda, a couple of Yodas to work, <laughs> to to be present, to be those supportive entities that that really have the capacity to to navigate help and support the navigation yeah i love that one of the things that i think for all of our community here um that would be fun to do is to you know put a day on the calendar where you have no plans and you literally just follow what you're beautifully talking about which is you know your impulse your imagination your creativity your curiosity i mean just to be in that state even just for one day to start off with, right? Where you let go of the schedule and you let go of the I have tos and you give yourself the space to, you know, oh, I hear the bird in the tree. I'm just going to go follow it and listen to it and see what's there. And oh, something else pulls my attention over here to practice that presence. I mean, I know we talk about presence in so many different ways on the show, um, but I think it's really, we have a lot of structures in our world today that pull us out of presence all of the time. And so I just think that would be a fun way to just like, we don't even know as adults many times, like what our natural curiosity and inclinations are. We get so used to living by a certain schedule or the have tos or, you know, the things that we've made up in our mind that we think have to happen every day that I just think that would be a fun thing for all of us as a community to do and to discover, you know, I think in a 24 hour period, so much would be discovered in just following and getting to connect again to that impulse. Oh, I, I so agree in the book, imagination matrix. Um, I offer a whole variety of, of approaches and yes. different tools and methods and exercise. And I am a big advocate in the morning because taking a full day is sometimes challenging, although I am an incredible advocate of what you're sharing right now. Incredible. And when I do that, my life shifts, right? In addition, 
in the morning. Can we imagine what it would be like to not mess necessarily the day, but what would happen if in the morning I wake up and before going into the cell phone, which 85% of people do, believe it or not, before getting out of bed, 85%, that's the empirical research, will reach for the cell phone to check. Rather than going there so quickly or going online so quickly or rehearsing the agenda of the day so quickly or attending to the necessity of the demand, which is important, of course, all of that's real. But yes. In addition, though, what would happen for those first 30 minutes or 40 minutes to go into the imaginative place, right? And I give a lot of ways of doing that. Waking up and just writing down dream and then taking the time to meander in imagination, right? Just allow oneself to journey for that hour. Imagine starting the day from that place of imagination and experiencing what that brings, which will bring a sense of presence and the quality of experience that's connected to deeper resources. It will reconnect us to the inner companions, the soul companions, which, you know, leading a day that is <laughs> begins with an experience of psyche and soul versus the, the to-do list changes everything. And I say that not as a romantic. I mean, the work that I do is a lot of it is administrative, working with faculty, working with organizations and consulting, work with leadership teams. I mean, all that, let alone family and friends and everything else. It's just when I start that way, everything changes, honestly. The decisions I make, how I approach the asks, the many asks of job or family or friends or children, it just shifts. So yeah, I, I so support what you're sharing. And um, even starting the day, you know, you half an hour, an hour, just going on that inner journey and just taking a moment there. It just, the rewards are immeasurable, particularly when we're in partnerships or relationships, you know, with significant others, because we'll get caught in the patterns of what that is and partnership and marriage and relationship in all different ways. Um, and to start sourced, in imagination, in psyche, in soul, and then to come forward from that place, it does open curiosity. And can you imagine having a partner that we're living with or partners that we're living with and all of us supporting one another in our particular way of doing that? Woo, the quality of life changes immeasurably. It's really beautiful that way. Yeah. So beautiful, so beautiful. Well, I'm super grateful to have had this conversation and that you you know, wrote the book, The Imagination Matrix. Like this, I think, is an evolution that we greatly need on the planet, like work that we need to understand that is right there for us all the time. You know, we literally just have to shift and kind of look over there and expand and open up and get curious. And I think this is, you know, kind of the thing that is going to help us through a lot of these times of really tough evolution. You know, I always say like chaos is the predecessor of change. A lot of times there's a lot of emotion and pain and, you know, kind of disheveled um, stuff that we go through as our planet is evolving and as things are changing. And, you know, all of us that are here experiencing that are part of a community that are helping to progress like what it is to be human. And it's no easy feat, um, but we are meant to, I think, expand in these ways. And we are meant to connect back uh, to who we really are as the kind of solution. And sometimes when we 
are going after what we think is the solution for so long, and it feels like we're banging our head against the wall, um, the solution is actually something so different than that, right? It's like kind of the opposite of that, which is really returning to ourselves. And so thank you for putting this work out into the world and for coming and being with us today. Oh, it was a privilege. It's so nice to be with you. Thank you. lovely. This is Shauna Lee. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Soul Frequency Show. If you got even one piece of valuable information, head over to Apple Podcasts and share a review with your takeaways. And follow us because we got lots more goodness to come. We are spreading the love far and wide. And you know where to find me over at IG at the Soul Frequency. Until the next time, love. Here's to positive vibes and powerful awakenings. Mm -hmm.